What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Find the show at SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand, or go on to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the show by searching the Hangout in the Holy Land. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, and I am joined by my buddy across the country, Patrick Mayhorn, as always. Patrick, what's happening, man? It was a it was a really fun week in college football. I'm feeling great. We got some chaos. We got we got some top five upsets. We got Miami beating Notre Dame. It's always good. Um, it was it was a great week. We got we got a big Buckeye win to talk about. Yeah, huge Ohio State win to talk about. Ohio State beats Michigan State yesterday, 48 to three. Just an absolute mugging by Ohio State. And last week, like it is. What a difference a week makes. Last week on our recap podcast for the Iowa game, our biggest question was, how would Ohio State respond? This was a, a tough situation for them to be in. It was pretty much Michigan State is almost like to a carbon copy this season, the same type of team that Iowa is. And after a loss like that, you're playing a team and a coaching staff and Mark D'Antonio that's had your number and plays you close no matter what. And Ohio State just went out of there and, like, they just beat the shit out of Michigan State. They killed them. Yeah, I really, I don't know, like, where this came from. I I did not think that this would happen. I mean, Michigan State was number 12 in the country. This is a legitimately good team or kind of good. I I don't really know what Michigan State is. But Ohio State just absolutely crushed them. And even I think if you just looked at the stat line, at least offensively for Ohio State, you wouldn't think that they scored 48 points. I, I mean, JT 14 of 21 for 183 yards, get two picks. Really, this this didn't feel like the kind of game that Ohio State should have a blowout win in. But they just kind of, you know, they, it was like watching you know J.K. Dobbins pick up a hundred yards. They did it. You don't know how they did it, but they got there, and you you don't really need to question it. <laughs> yeah, the stat line wasn't anything like. I mean, not that it wasn't impressive. It was completely impressive because they averaged over eight yards per play. But I think that sort of disparity goes to the fact that Ohio State on both sides of the ball they were just clicking. You know, on offense they were able to pretty much get what they want on the ground. They had. 335 yards rushing on 42 carries, eight yards per pop there. They, For Barrett's kind of inconsistencies, and we'll get to the offense here in a second, they only threw for 189 yards, and Barrett threw for 183 of those, but he threw for almost nine yards per attempt. So Ohio State was getting whatever they wanted offensively. And then the, the defense, Michigan State couldn't do anything from the jump. Defensive line just went to work, which we'll get to. And the linebackers, which had some new faces in it this week, or not new faces, but different faces from the usual starters. And then the secondary played well as well. So just across the board, Ohio State looked really good. Um, Let's kick this off with, with the offense, I guess, you know, given that they scored... 48 points and Ohio State really the defining thing in in this game to me was they got back to the ground game and it wasn't only that but it was the way that they ran the ball and the last five or six weeks we've seen a lot of RPO stuff we've seen a lot of I I don't want to call it a finesse run game because they still play so tough on the offensive line but it, it felt like for whatever reason maybe there were more power schemes a little more inside running but it just felt like Ohio State played a tougher brand of football this week a lot more power runs and this 
felt like, you know, your vintage 2014, 2013, 2012 Ohio State running game. Yeah, the the running game was really, really good. I wasn't expecting Mike Weber to have as good of a day as he did. Nine carries for 162 yards, um, 18 yards on average, two touchdowns. Obviously, those long touchdowns helped out quite a bit. He had an 82-yarder, and it was really surprising to see him do that because in the, you know, last season and so far this season, he hasn't had a great year thus far, but we've never really seen him break those big runs we haven't seen that explosiveness he's been able to do to pick up big yards to pick up tough yards and use his his power and his strength but he was like he was breaking away he was making big runs and not really getting caught from behind and I don't know if that was just bad defense or, or Mike Weber f- maybe finally being healthy for what could legitimately be the first time this season but <clears throat> he had a great game J.K. Dobbins had another great game he went over a thousand yards rushing on the season um, despite being a, a true freshman and 18 years old. I mean, I feel like sometimes we kind of forget how young and how good J.K. Dobbins is and how good he will continue to be for the next two years. Um, but J.T. Barrett only nine carries, 55 yards. I think that that's about right for him. Definitely, as you said, a more traditional running style. There was less option plays. There was more just handing it off of the middle, handing it off off the tackle letting letting the running backs make plays and I think that's the the key to success for this offense yeah and it seems like the loss to Iowa for whatever reason because it's not like they played horribly offensively uh, against Iowa but their coaching staff and Urban Meyer alluded to this after the game made a conscious decision to kind of shift up the philosophy of the run game and get back to what they do best and I know that they love to have that 250 yards passing and 250 yards rushing balance. But like when you're good at something, you might as well just make it work until the defense is able to stop it. And if they aren't, you might as well keep running it. And that's what Ohio State did. And you saw that in the disparity between running and passing. Ohio State ran the ball 42 times yesterday, only 23 passes. And that's bound to happen when you get a huge lead right from the beginning But we've seen even in some of the blowouts earlier this season that Ohio State would they would keep trying to, you know, tinker with the passing game and figure it out and keep going to the pass. But they made it a point to run on Michigan State and to do so early and often. And when when that's what you're the best at and and that should be what Ohio State hangs their hat on, then that's what you should go with. But on the subject of Mike Weber, you know, we were on this podcast last week basically burying him. <laughs> and be, because and it, it's not because we don't like him. He's obviously a good player. He's a Big Ten freshman of the year last year. but We love all the Buckeyes. Yeah, and for whatever reason, he just he didn't look the same as last season. He had that nagging hamstring injury, and Urban Meyer said that it almost got to the point where – they had to operate on him and he would miss the season. I don't know if that was something that came out in the off season, but that was news to me. So kudos to Mike Weber for having that type of day. And this is the best he's looked, not only all season, but I think in his career. Yeah, this was career high numbers for him. Yeah. He not only had the 82-yard touchdown run, but he had the earlier 47-yard touchdown run, which I think was just as impressive where he was able to explode through the second level of defense. And if there's always been one knock on Mike Weber, it's been that he gets caught from behind, and we saw that a lot in his freshman season. He didn't get caught from behind yesterday. And so it was great to see that uh, that explosiveness out of him and, and to have that good game. So Mike Weber breaking off 82 in 
47-yard touchdown runs? I, I guess we were wrong, Patrick. He should be a kick returner. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go as far to say he should be a kick returner, but um, <laughs> he, he certainly certainly had a really good game, and it was, it was nice to see him bounce back and make some big plays because I, I think that he is, you know, he's a guy who's obviously very talented. We've, we've seen him. He was great last season. He's The talent doesn't just go away. And if, if it was a health thing, if it was a maybe a schematic issue, um, it's good to see that get figured out, at least for this game. And hopefully this wasn't just a case of Ohio State saw something that Michigan State's defense doesn't do well. I don't know what Michigan State's rush defense numbers look like on the season, but I, I hope that this wasn't just a case of trying to exploit something that they saw and they will they'll stick to giving the run, you know, 60, 70 percent of the, you know, the offensive play time and more heavily leaning on the power rush because that's what this offense is built to do. Michigan State was a top 10 rushing defense in S&P coming into this game. So this, this is pretty unprecedented, at least this season, what Ohio State was able to do to them on the ground. And the, the biggest takeaway for me when it comes to the offense in the ground game in particular is I, I don't know how you come away from this game if you're the coaching staff and the plan going forward, no matter who you play, is not that J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber, no matter what order you want to put them in, that they are one-two in this offense in terms of guys that need the ball. At the very least, I think that you know, in a situation where, because you're not going to beat every team by 40 points, even though Ohio State has played in a lot of blowouts this year, but in a regular game situation, I think going forward, you can't afford to give these guys a combined less than like 35, almost 40 touches with the way that they run the ball in to Dobbins. He has over a thousand yards with only like 137 carries. So it's not like they're really feeding him the ball. And he's at the point of the season where he's used to the college game right now, even though he's still a freshman, he's got his legs under him. But at the same time, he doesn't look like he has any wear and tear on him. Like he looks just as fresh now as he did in that Indiana game. So they're really peaking at the right time with, with, uh, with the way that they're running the ball. And we said last week and the week before that we'd like to see him get involved in the pass game instead of Weber. And in addition to the 18 carries that Dobbins had, he also caught four passes for 20 yards and one touchdown. So I, I thought that from a play calling standpoint and just a utilizing the offensive weapons standpoint, that this was the best they've looked all season because the two guys that needed the ball got the ball and they were used in the right way. Yeah, the the offense play calling wise, execution wise, looked really really good, especially in the first half. And I think that the kind of only thirteen only thirteen points in the second half was um, more of a result of you know getting more conservative, not really wanting to show the rest of your your hand show show anything for you know the Michigan game at the end of the year or whatever comes after that if it's Big Ten championship game we'll we'll just wait and see but in the first half execution wise play calling really anything that an offense needs to be successful was all there uh, everything was working from you know the power running game to uh, even even the deep ball game um, Benjamin Victor had a touchdown, a 48-yard touchdown reception where he made a beautiful adjustment, kind of flashed his super high ceiling, and he does that sometimes. But um, it wasn't a great day passing for JT Barrett. Still did have two interceptions, including one that was just a horrible throw to K.J. Hill, completely behind him. Um, but I, I think pretty much the entire offense had a, a solid, good day, and that's, I mean, 48 to 3 is what happens when your entire offense has a good day. Yeah, Ohio State's first half drive chart 
touchdown, punt, touchdown, 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 interception. That's going to win you a oh hell God. of a lot of games, <laughs> especially when you're playing a conference opponent. So this was the most efficient first half that, or any half of football really that I can remember Ohio State playing against top a top-level defense like that. And regardless of what you think of Michigan State's overall strength, they do have a very good defense, and nobody does that to them. And we've only seen Ohio State in the Urban Meyer era do it to them once in 2014. So to see them kind of not figure out the Michigan State defense, but just be able to bully them was something that was, I think, very impressive. And we're talking about the skill players, but a lot of props has to go to the offensive line. Billy Price and co. were just mauling Michigan State's defense. I mean, they really whipped Michigan State's defensive line's ass yesterday. And uh, the the running lanes for those two touchdowns on the 82-yarder and the 47-yarder for Weber and almost every other run were just wide. Like, Weber looked like he was merging onto the freeway on some of those runs, especially that that long touchdown run. So enough props can't be given to the offensive line because they might have had their best game of the season. They they were just really – manhandling Michigan State's line and and getting to the second level to the point where Dobbins and Weber weren't even touched until they were six, seven yards downfield. Yeah, the line had a really great performance. Um, Billy Price was consistently great, as he always is. Jamarco Jones and Demetrius Knox both looked healthy. They were a little bit banged up last week. And um, when the offensive line is working as well as it is, this team, it's really, I, I don't think there's a team in the country that could stop them from moving the ball at least on the ground, sometimes the, the passing game can can be affected by either some poor throws or poor wide receiver play. But when the offensive line is working, you, you know that these running backs will be successful. And it's just, I, I, I think that the rushing attack is, is the way to go. We've seen it plenty of times this season. And I, I really hope that they don't stray from it against, you know, even Illinois or Michigan or Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. Wherever this team goes, I hope that they stick to Dobbins, they stick to Weber, and they trust that offensive line. Yeah, and there was a stretch of plays in the uh, in the first half where 15 of 16 play calls were designed runs. So th- this was really the first time that Ohio State has stuck to that ground game. And I don't know after that those 16 plays what it ended up being, but they ran the ball almost twice as much as they threw the ball. And uh, I thought that if you've been if you've been looking for a vintage Ohio State offensive performance from the first couple of years of the Meyer era this was it because this is the best the run game has looked in a while Uh, getting to the passing game before we shift on over to the defense and talk about Nick Bosa just eating everybody's souls Uh, JT Barrett like you mentioned he, he was all right he he had really two bad interceptions the first one like you mentioned where he threw it behind KJ Hill was uh was rough and not something you want to see from your senior quarterback late in in the season and the uh the end zone interception on the fade to Benjamin Victor was also a really bad throw. It was underthrown, but also a really weird play call on first and goal when you're up 45 points. So that was kind of odd. But overall, other than that, the, the touchdown pass to Benjamin Victor on the deep ball was excellent. And it was an excellent adjustment by Victor as well. I think like you're saying, those are the type of plays in the flashes that it's still a little bit inconsistent and we see it not as often as you would like, but I think it also goes to show that wherever they go during bowl season and into next year that uh, he has the tools to be the guy because he's the best playmaker on the offense in terms of uh, in terms of a wide receiver or a deep ball threat. Yeah, a good game for Benjamin Victor. I would definitely like to see him 
getting more time and as we saw late last season he seems to be kind of getting more into the fold and we'll see if that continues um paris campbell back from injury last week had a good game uh three receptions 49 yards had a had a nice 25 yard reception marcus ball jumped over what felt like 20 people <laughs> um that's his only move he doesn't need to do anything else he can just jump right over dude three receptions 30 yards um kj hill bit of a quiet day only two receptions 19 yards he still looked pretty good um one thing i I was surprised about in the passing game was that there was no Austin Mack receptions and he had been having a couple good weeks in a row so it was kind of surprising to not see him get on the board at all but um, good game all around from the receivers JT spread it out pretty well Uh, um, I I think it was a it was a serviceable decent game in the passing game shifting over to the defense I can't wait to talk about this because there was some intrigue heading into the game the defense played without starting linebackers Jerome Baker and Dante Booker they were both out and in concussion protocol and in their place you had Tuff Borland started at middle linebacker and then Malik Harrison and those guys along with the defensive line right from the get-go from the first drive really set the tone and the guy that stood out above everybody else was Nick Bosa and I know that earlier in the season he was still kind of shifting time with Tyquan Lewis and Sam Hubbard but now 10 games into the year he's he's the man for this defense he I think without question he's their best player and he might have had his best game of the season yesterday yeah Nick Bosa had a great day um Sam Hubbard they pretty much the entire defensive line Chase Young was really good um later on in the game he had uh, one and a half tackles for a loss, including a, a third down play where he stopped um, he stopped Michigan and or Michigan State and Brian Lewerke from from picking up a first down. Um, he's just a freak athlete, Chase Young is. Uh, but the entire defensive line as a whole looked looked really good. Um, I, I would certainly agree that that Nick Bosa has kind of won the the role as the kind of the leader of that defense and the most talented player on this defense. What do you think about the linebacker play? Because we've bemoaned the play of Jerome Baker, who just hasn't been the same player that he was in 2016. And I think Booker has been hit or miss, but I thought that tough Borland played really, really well. He had a couple tackles for loss and a sack. I think he led the team with 11 tackles and Malik Harrison played well too. He made a play on the, on the first drive to help end the drive along with Bosa and moving Chris Worley out wide. Like he's kind of been in and out and disappeared a little bit at times this season. But when he plays at that weak side linebacker spot, he's a monster and and you just put him out in space and let him do some stuff. And I think that's where he's at his best. And I'm not going to get on here and advocate that uh tough Borland starts over Jerome Baker or him and Booker are totally kicked out of the rotation or anything. But I, I thought that if we're looking back at, the first eight, nine games of the season, this was the most consistent performance from the linebackers. They played really well. Yeah, you you might not be willing to get on here and advocate for Tough Borland. I'm going to. He should be the starting Dude, middle do linebacker. Do it, do it. He's, he's a true middle linebacker. Um, when he is in the middle, this linebacker group plays better. They play a lot of nickel, so the, the middle linebacker doesn't matter a ton. Um, but, I mean, Chris Worley is significantly better as an outside linebacker Jerome Baker's better as an outside linebacker Dante Booker's better as an outside linebacker you can have a rotation when those guys are healthy Malik Harrison can be in that rotation that's fine but tough Borland is ready he is he is good at middle linebacker he can play the position he can tackle he can cover 
I, I don't know why he's not playing at this point for any reason other than just seniority. Yeah, and you know what? Since it took you like 30 seconds to sell me on that, you're, you're right. <laughs> he should be starting at middle linebacker. And I, I think the reason why is last week we saw them have a really hard time against Iowa, not only diagnosing play action passes but also just diagnosing run plays and being able to stop plays behind the line and there isn't another linebacker on this team that's as good as as tough Borland is at just doing that and I think some of the pre-snap stuff and just being able to to diagnose what's going on in front of him he always seems to be in the right position and and I'm not talking about him like that just because he's a white linebacker like athletically he's also a freak too like he's a hell of a football player and and I think that if you're looking for that prototypical middle linebacker, he's the dude. He, he's the best middle linebacker they have, and you need to let guys like Chris Worley and Jerome Baker utilize them to their strengths. And we saw that with Chris Worley where they just kind of set him free, and he had a really good game. Yeah, the only thing that I kind of noticed about Chris Worley, because I think he did have a good game, he looked a little bit banged up. Um, there were a couple running plays where he, he didn't seem to have very much bend. He looked a little bit stiff. That's, I, I don't think that it's enough to sideline him, but as we saw with, with Baker and Booker, there are some injuries in this group. There are some injuries on the team. Guys are a little bit banged up. Um, so that's, I, I think that that's something certainly to, to keep an eye on as Ohio State has a really physical matchup with, with Michigan coming up. Illinois, I don't think will do a ton of ta- damage to this defense. But um, Hopefully. I, I, that is something. To, yeah. <laughs> Juice Williams is going to come back and he's gonna get us no but that's I think that that's something to keep an eye on is the the health of this linebacker group yeah and he was a little bit banged up dating back to before the uh before the Penn State game and the defense as a whole nine total tackles for loss six sacks they held Michigan State to 34 carries for 64 yards 20 of those came on the first drive from LJ Scott on that one long run that was basically all Michigan State did on the ground for the rest of the day and like I, I felt so bad for quarterback Brian Lewerke because I, I've never seen I have seen a quarterback look more uncomfortable in the pocket but like man he had a rough rough day because whenever he dropped back there was somebody in his face and even when there wasn't he was just dirt and balls because he knew that he had to get rid of it within three or four seconds or else somebody from that Ohio State defensive line or linebacker corps was just going to be right in his face so I thought that even when they weren't sacking Lewerke, they made it completely uncomfortable for him to do anything in the pocket. They were able to flush the pocket, and it was the most complete the defensive front seven has looked in a, in a little while. And they finally forced a turnover. It's been like three games. Like the Ohio State's defense finally managed to get the ball, and they forced three on the day, two interceptions. One fumble recovery. Our whipping boy on this podcast, Damon Arnett, made a couple of plays. I was stoked for him <laughs> to see that he got involved. Uh, the secondary, I thought, was was fine. They were in position a lot of times. I still think they have a pretty nasty habit outside of Denzel Ward of not being able to get their heads turned around. There were a couple plays, Arnett especially, where I, I thought that they could have called pass interference. But this defense along you know behind the defensive line they have to be able to force havoc plays and to create turnovers and that's why we saw them have so much success last season and today they were able to do that for the first time in almost a month that uh that first turnover was their first non-garbage time turnover since the Maryland game it had almost been a month since they forced a turnover in like an actual game situation so that was good to see and 
I thought just basically overall defense did a did a really good job and they were able to shut down what's been an efficient offense for Michigan State, especially passing wise. Yeah, I was really impressed with the performance of this defensive backfield. Um, Michigan State's been passing the ball well all year. Their their rushing attack has not been very good. LJ Scott has has struggled, but Brian Lewerke has been legitimately one of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten, um, consistently putting up 400-yard passing performances. And this defensive backfield shut him down. Um, Denzel Ward is, I mean, this dude's ready to be an NFL player. He's he's fantastic. He got Yeah, Denzel Ward, go get your money because he's great. Um, he had a really nice pass deflection early on. Um, he's about as shut down as it gets when it comes to defensive backs. Um Damon Arnett, as you said, he had an interception. He had a he had a nice game, so it was it was good to see him bouncing back after a couple kind of rough performances on the season. Um, the safeties were fine. Eric Smith had a good game, seven tackles. Uh, he got out of he's out of the doghouse. Yeah, <laughs> still still rocking forty six, isn't he? So maybe we got like a race mall situation. Yeah, I I can't think of anybody that was ever dope that wore forty six, especially a DB. No. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think we got ourselves a defensive race mall kind of thing going on. But good game for Eric Smith. Good game for the the defense as a whole. Um, really nice bounce back game after really getting embarrassed by an offense that had no business putting up 55 points. So um, it was nice to see. They looked like they actually game planned this week. They were they were ready. They were prepared. Um, good good performance all around on both sides of the ball uh the only other real big thing i can think of was draymond jones got ejected and then threw up the oh it wasn't <laughs> it certainly wasn't on the level of marcus hall but then again i don't think anything will ever match that but um shout out to the ohio state players for only getting ejected on these targeting calls in the first half so they don't miss the uh the first half of the second game that's happened like four times already this season so i guess if you're gonna get those targeting calls it might as well be in the first half yeah i don't know what it is with this team and and targeting because they do it so much and i you know every time there's a targeting penalty in any game like clockwork people will be upset about it on you know on twitter or just in general um and the rule isn't perfect but draymond jones he targeted he hit the quarterback way too late i mean you you got to be smarter than that this team needs to kind of figure that out i think um because against you know, against teams like Wisconsin and, you know, Michigan and whatever the bowl game ends up being, you can't do that and still, you know, win. It's you'll get yourself in trouble. What happened with with Nick Bosa against Iowa and that really hurt the defensive line. And they I think that they need to figure out the targeting issue and the, the late hit issue, because, I mean, it, it, it feels like it's happening every game. Yeah. And those are things that like we saw in the Iowa game with Bosa that are going to cost you when you play better teams and this is an issue we talked about dating back to the indiana game that even like the secondary guys seem to really aim with their heads a lot so i don't think we're we're done with seeing ohio state players get called for targeting you just hope that it's not in a big time spot we talked about ohio state's first half drive chart michigan states was just as bad and it went punt 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 fumble punt interception and then that sad field goal to end the half which made it a 35 to 3 game and ended up being Michigan State's only points of the half and I I haven't gone back and watched the game yet but even watching it live it felt like when Mark D'Antonio did that not that he was waving the white flag but it felt like he knew like okay we're in the red zone like I don't want to get shut out 
I'm going to kick this field goal just in case, just so we don't put up a goose egg on the board. And like, I would have not wanted to be around Mark D'Antonio after that game or even today because he just looked like he was physically radiating disgust like you would catch something from a man that was that disgusted yeah i mean like he definitely killed an animal in the locker room i mean like that's (laughs) he like pulled an animal's head off with his hands or something and yeah i (laughs) the, the sad field goal was was i mean always kind of funny but also kind of a bummer um uh, it's too bad that the the kicker didn't do the windmill after hitting that but uh yeah no mark d'antonio probably not super fun to be around after this game (laughs) and this was like a low-key savage urban meyer game where usually he runs it up whenever whenever it's a game like this and you would think that a team that's beaten ohio state twice under urban meyer you would think that there'd be like a little bit of wanting to get revenge since the last time they played him in Columbus and pile up the score. But this felt like more savage for Meyer where he was just like, okay with everything and just like, yeah, I don't even want to run it up on you. Like you're just going to have to watch us run the ball and just deal with it. And they showed like during one of the commercial breaks or coming back or either that or going out, they showed like a, a sad Michigan state montage in slow motion with like one of their coaches breaking a clipboard over his knee and then like showing the slow-mo of it of like the papers flying in front of one of the linebackers faces it was just a really really rough day for Michigan State and not something you uh you see from the Spartans so anytime that Ohio State can not only beat Michigan State but given the way that this series has gone regardless of whether Ohio State is is good enough to make the playoff or why they looked so much better this week than they did last week anytime you beat Michigan State and anytime you do it by 40 plus points, that's a good day. Yeah, I mean, certainly it feels kind of almost silly to to be um, a bit like lukewarm on this outcome because Ohio State just beat a top 12 team by 45 points. Um, even if Michigan State might not be a, a legitimate top 12 team, although I don't really know if there are 12 good teams this season in college football. I mean, this is still a really, really good win over a team that causes Ohio State a lot of issues. Um, Good performance all around. Uh, Really hard to find a lot of bad to say about this this game. There was even even special teams with the kickoffs and, you know, some stuff that Ohio State has has struggled with, some penalties, silly stuff like that. That really wasn't in this game, and I, I, I don't think that there's much to be upset about about this performance yeah and I think that's interesting that a lot of fans not a lot of fans but there are fans out there that have been kind of lukewarm about this win based off of what happened last week and I think that I already believe this and I think it's only going to get stronger as the season goes on and as we get into the offseason that Ohio State losing that game to Iowa is that one or two games during the college football season when you look back where it's just like, what the fuck happened there? Like that was just the perfect storm. Whatever happened, like the football gods were just shining down on Iowa. And I don't think there's going to be any rational way to explain what happened a couple weeks ago. And like, we just need to let that one sit where it is because there was just like looking back on it, there was no way Ohio state was winning that game. Like the way that Iowa played. And to me, that's just going to be a game where you look back and it's just like you, you got to hand it to them because there was no way you were winning that one. Yeah, a lot of a lot of really odd circumstances in that in that game. Kind of you know the case of some bad game planning, some really poor execution. Pretty much everything 
that could have gone wrong went wrong and obviously when you lose a game like that it, it should hurt your chances to compete for a championship and it certainly does and um you know you can't afford to lose games like that and obviously like ohio state we we think is is better than that usually and they have proven in pretty much every game except for two this season that they're a very good team and i think they will continue to be a very good team and even you know like last week we were talking about the possibility of ohio state finishing eight and four at the end of the regular season i don't think that's going to happen now because uh illinois is not very good but um i mean this was a good this is a good win after i think that this team could have laid down and kind of just let the season end and you know chalk this one up as kind of a lost cause but they didn't they looked really good they looked like they still have a fight left so that was that was good to see. There's still a lot of season left to be played. I mean, there was upsets all over the country yesterday, and there will continue to be upsets. So there's, I mean, anytime you can get a big win over a team that is, you know, a good team, then I, I think that you should celebrate that, even if it was a, kind of a, a, a sleepy noon kind of game. Yeah, and before you and I hit record, we promised that we weren't going to talk about the playoff because it was inevitable that when Ohio State got up that big in the first half on Twitter, you started to see it pop up from a couple of different writers that, oh boy, like we're going to have a discussion. And as the day went on and, and Auburn won and a few of the other games broke the way that Ohio State probably wanted them to break after uh, Washington was upset by Stanford on Friday, this was a topic of discussion. And we're not really going to get into it on this episode of the podcast because it's still just so far away and a lot is going to have to happen. But in the grand scheme of things, like if you're looking for almost a perfect week for Ohio State in terms of like, can they claw back in? This was it. I, I still think that it's really far fetched to talk about them getting into the playoff. But for one week, like this is what they needed for week 11. And we'll see what happens in week 12. Yeah, week 12, um, kind of a rough slate. <laughs> so I'm not to say the least. Yeah, I'm not sure week 12 will be. Um, the best possible um, week to to hitch any any you know excitement or hopes on because if the best game is Michigan Wisconsin it's kind of rough um, most of the SEC is playing like a D three school so it is kind of it's one of those weeks but still plenty of football to be played maybe Mercer will beat Alabama or something stupid like that <laughs> well and still a big week for Ohio State because they can clinch the east next week if Ohio State beats Illinois and then Michigan loses to Wisconsin I do believe that they officially clinch the east because they'll have the tiebreaker over Michigan State Penn State and Michigan so despite it being kind of a bland week overall still a big week for Ohio State and like we talked about on uh, on last episode of the podcast and our recap of the Iowa podcast, they haven't been to the Big Twelve or the Big Ten championship game since 2014. So that would be a major accomplishment for Ohio State to uh, to clinch that up and and win the Big Ten East. Yep, go win that big beautiful turtle, Buckeyes. <laughs> yeah, and then and then we go to the to the real meat of uh, of the uh, of the end of the season and play Michigan. And I, I know that Michigan has played a lot better over the last couple of weeks. And, and that's probably the best thing to happen to them is if Michigan is able to win that game. I don't know if them beating a one loss Wisconsin in the big 10 uh, title game has any more or less merit than beating an undefeated Wisconsin. But just in terms of their psyche, I know that they always get up to play Michigan, but I, I don't know how comfortable I feel about this team playing Michigan already 
the Big East champions. You know what I mean? Like, I think that having just that extra motivation of like, okay, we have to win this game would be a lot better for them than the alternative. Yeah, I, and I'm sure that the the Michigan game will be, you know, a, a traditional Ohio State Michigan game where it's very cold and kind of kind of sloppy. And I know Ohio State's going to be wearing some some beautiful iced out uniforms, but um, that that could be kind of a kind of a sleepy game like this one was, and that that extra motivation will always help. So um, I guess we. Just have to wait and see. Any more major takeaways as we move on from Michigan State and head into the Illinois game? Um, I mean, not not really. Break Hobby should continue to be doing the kickoffs. That's I think that's the, really the the last takeaway. He did the kickoffs against Michigan State. He looked really good. Um, Michigan State's usually really good at returning kicks. They didn't have any success um, yesterday. I, I think that Ohio State has kind of solved their their kickoff issue knock on wood but um I, I think that they found their guy to to be doing the kickoffs yeah ohio state for the first time in almost a month didn't give up a touchdown within the first 15 <laughs> seconds of the game so like right from the beginning ohio state was making major progress in this one so a, a great game and a great win for ohio state beating michigan state 48 to 3 that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast we want to thank you guys for tuning in be sure to go to landgrantholyland.com also follow us on twitter at landgrant33 if you want to find the show you can go to soundcloud.com slash landgrantholyland also subscribe to the show by going to apple podcasts and searching the hangout in the holy land and leave us some feedback about what you think about the show you can also follow me on twitter and leave me some feedback by sending me a tweet at dubsco patrick where can they reach you my friend they can reach me at patrick underscore mayhorn spelled how it sounds um I got real, real rowdy with the the Miami win over Notre Dame last night. So if that's something that the people are interested in, feel free to drop me a follow, and we can we can talk about um, Columbus's official team, the Miami Hurricanes. Patrick and I are always here to talk about any sort of college football, whether it's Ohio State or Miami or Arizona and seven and three Rich Rodriguez, whatever it is, we're always Woo! talking college football. <laughs> on Twitter, so make sure to give us a follow. Uh, That's going to wrap it up, though. We want to thank you guys for listening to the show. For Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This is The Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks.